Welcome to 39-Minute Conversations. Please wait for your host to begin this meeting. Your meeting is now being recorded. All right, are you there? Can you see me? Can you hear me? <laughs> Hi, yes, okay. I'm on my phone and I hope that's it's fine if it works for you it works for me perfect hi hello i will be i will be sharing this video so are you are you so you're cool with that with the phone 90 degree angle here we got going on the vertical yeah i apologize my computer is i couldn't do it with my computer today okay well we don't need it um i'm excited to chat with you but the first thing that i do have to do is get through a quick ad read i hope that's I hope you can handle that. I'm, I apologize. Yes. <laughs> this week's episode is not technically presented by Ted Lasso. I know, I know, shock and surprise, like everyone else in the world, I love Ted Lasso. It's funny, it's sweet, smart. It's a show about both the power of positivity and also the dangers of toxic positivity, which is a tough line to walk, but Ted Lasso walks it with grace. If you've been living under a rock, Ted Lasso follows an American football coach who moved to London to coach an English soccer club. Chaos and hilarity ensue as he slowly inspires his team to believe in him and themselves. Ted Lasso stars Jason Sudeikis, Hannah Waddingham, Juno Temple, Brett Goldstein, Nick Mohammed, Tohi Jumo, Jeremy Swift, Brendan Hunt, and Phil Dunster, created by Brendan Hunt, Joe Kelly, and the one and only Bill Lawrence. I have been a Bill Lawrence fan for a long time. He also created Scrubs, which is maybe my favorite show of all time, one that Influenced my sense of humor, my writing. I don't think I'd be who I am as a writer, maybe even a human being, without Bill Lawrence's work. This is the third and likely final season of Ted Lasso, so if you haven't gotten on board yet, now is the time to hop on the AFC Richmond team bus. New episodes of Ted Lasso drop every Thursday on Apple TV. Watch them immediately when they come out, and then text me right after, because this is all I'm going to be talking about for the next few months. That's Ted Lasso on Apple TV. And hello, I'm Brian T. Arnold, and this is 39 Minute Conversations, a podcast about reconnecting with old friends and making new ones. But I've only got 39 minutes to do it because I will not be paying for Zoom Pro. I am very excited to talk to today's guest. Unless I am mistaken, this is our first Emmy-winning guest on the podcast. She's written for Final Space, Monkey Kid, and won a dang Emmy for her work on Robot Chicken. She's also an actress who you may have seen in A Little Late with Lilith Singh and the Goldbergs, and a comedian who has performed at the Comedy Store and the Improv. Please welcome Deirdre Devlin. Hi, guys. <laughs> um, that was an incredible introduction, and right when you started saying it, my gardener came. So I think I need to shut my... Can you hear that? <laughs> I can't hear it, but um, it, do what you have to do. I have to go shut the windows. It's so loud. Yeah, go okay. for it. Enjoy my. <laughs> All right, um, I'm gonna just be everybody. Just enjoy the silence with me. Uh, we are just gonna sit here and wait. I will not be editing this out. This is part of the magic of a 39 minute conversation that takes place entirely within a Zoom window. Also, she's on her phone and didn't take it with her to shut the window. This was, you know, she like she had the mobility. She had that option to take the phone with her. It didn't happen. So now you guys are just listening to me while I vamp, while I wait. Use oh my, my improv training. Hello. Hi. Okay. Um, now I can hear you. I like, right when you started talking, I was like, oh my God. It's just like, <laughs> right. So. 
It's LA, you know, that's, there is no time that there is not a gardener. There is not, um, what do you call it? A leaf blower outside my window. It is constant. That is the joy of living in Los Angeles. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, thank you for being here. I'm very happy to have you. Um, our friendship, I think is kind of interesting in that, you know, during the pandemic, I kind of withdrew from a lot of things and a lot of my friendships kind of lapsed a little bit just because I was not nurturing them as I should have. But you and I actually got closer during the pandemic. We started messaging each other and chatting and, and checking in with each other. Um, we met years ago. We weren't, we were never like close, close, but we met, we knew each other and we've gotten closer in the last few months. But I was thinking back, well, the last three years, I guess, but I was thinking back on it. And I, how did, do you remember how that started? Like, how did we start talking to each other again during this? Oh my God. I think it's because I, I definitely messaged you about something and I don't mm -hmm. know. I think I might've just messaged you and been like, now I'm forgetting the name, but you, you posted a picture and you looked like the lead singer of Queen. And <laughs> oh, when I had a mustache, when I had my pandemic mustache. Yeah, something and why am I forgetting his name? He's like so famous. Freddie Mercury. Yeah, there we go. I was yeah. like, you kind of Freddie Mercury. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, thanks. Like I hadn't talked to him in so long. <laughs> and then, like, that was, I think the first thing. And then I think I messaged you like a congrats on your, you know, uh, winning competitions or, you know, getting like heat with mm -hmm. that. And so, so you started it. I think I did. Yeah. <laughs> I think it okay. is. Okay. Because I looked like Freddie Mercury. I'll take it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, man, I know the pandemic was rough on both of us. It has been. We, I know you went back home for a little while. We both were trying to figure out what life looked like. How did you, I guess, you know, this is a question I try to start with most guests. How did you stay sane during it? How did you, you know, what did you learn about yourself? How are you different now than you were before? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I feel like I, it was hard because at the beginning of the pandemic, I broke up with someone, you know, mm -hmm. like I've been, oh my God, excuse me. <laughs> I've been drinking water. Um, I kind of realized I'm like, this needs to end because we'd on and off dated for like four years. So, mm. and he, you know, it was great and was like, oh, do you want it? Like, you can just spend the pandemic here. Like, am I, you know, and I just knew I didn't want to. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, this, I should end this. So then, but then I was like alone <laughs> for so long because unfortunately, like I, I usually judge people that date people and then like, they just kind of get lost in that cocoon. But I'm so that person that once I'm with someone, I don't do a good job of like keeping up other relationships. So then when that like devastating, cause I'm like, oh wait, I have no life. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like that mixed with like the pandemic and you can't see anyone. Like when it was really at the beginning, I didn't see anyone for like nine months. It was insane. And then I finally went home and it was better being around people. But as you can imagine, like family dynamics and like just being a grown adult with your parents is like never good. Even with the pensions, it's just so I went to therapy a lot. And then I also just kind of do things on my own pace, which I think is um, a test, a testament to that is the fact that I've lived in this new place for literally almost a year and I don't have a desk yet. So that's why I'm in front of my fucking fireplace. But I just, I feel like I take 
what has changed is um, I take things slower where like, you know, I'm about to be done being staffed on a show and I'm just joking like, okay, I can either be on a show or have my life together. I can't have both. And I feel like that's where I'm at right now. Um, so give myself a break when, yeah, I don't have a desk yet. Like I don't, I don't have this figured out. I'm taking it like one step at a time. Where are you writing when you're not, if you don't have a desk at home? But granted, I have a desk. I'm on my desk right now, but most of the time, if I'm honest, I'm usually writing on the couch, on the coffee table, hunched over like a weirdo. But what, 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 do you, where, what does your writing routine look like? Where are you sitting to write? Oh, I'm for the sheets. I write in bed. That's where I write. Okay. Okay. That's luxury. That's pretty good. Yeah. I just, I even sometimes I like lay supine and, and type that way, which is so uncomfortable for your like upper back. And I, I'll still do it. Sure, like a like a girl at a slumber party. Are you kicking your feet up in the air, just typing away? Yep, I like okay. to keep it fun. <laughs> Is this the key to um to being an Emmy winning writer? Just uh just take it casual, <laughs> write in bed. Yeah, I try to you know what book is really great for creatives? Like uh I don't know if you've read it. It's called Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert. Have you read I it? I bought it. I have not read it yet. That's mo me and most of my books. I get it. I think you'll like it. It's, you know, she talks about, I, sorry, I have the worst ADHD and I cannot believe the gardener's here right now. It's so funny. Um, I'm like trying to concentrate then as I, uh, in the book, she talks about trying to make, trying to show up for your creativity, like maybe dressing up or, you know, just making it as fun as possible or as easy as possible. So I really liked that because I feel like a lot of my life I tried too hard, you know, just a pretty conscientious person. So obviously it's important to try hard, but to bring a lightness to it too. So that's why, I mean, it is a luxury to work in bed, but if you're a writer, you can, so why not? That's true. I, I've done it. Um, I don't usually lay down supine when I do it, but whatever works for you. Um, now in these episodes, I try to do a lot of research. I try to surprise the guests with random shit that I find online. You don't have a ton of info about you on the internet. <laughs> no, no, like other than what you sent me of your like your bio and your credits. So I guess, I mean, you obviously have some videos that I was able to watch some sketch comedy videos, but in terms of like personal information, my first question is, what are you trying to hide? Uh, I have nothing to hide. Mm. Although it's so funny that you asked this because one of my best friends FaceTimed me last night and was like, I had a nightmare. You killed someone in your apartment. I walked in on it. You told me to hide it. And I woke up being so upset at you for doing that. And I'm like, okay, it was your dream. I clearly didn't do that. So. Mm. Do you think? I guess I'm I just I'm sorry, you cut out a little bit during that. You're just what? I guess I'm just really sus, you know what I mean? Yeah, I can see that. You, something behind the eyes just tells me you've probably killed before. Do you enjoy being a mystery? Not, not letting all this information out? I guess I didn't know that I was a mystery. But yeah, I feel like 
I feel like moving forward with my life and career. Yeah. I think there's, it's good to separate, you know, I, I'm definitely not a person that I, I don't see myself like posting uh significant others ever, like things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm single as to be honest, but like once that, excuse me, I just don't. Yeah. Or like if I ever had kids, I wouldn't really want to post them. I think mm-hmm. stuff like that, but um yeah, I didn't know I was such a mystery. I think it's interesting because I, I I've actually had I've had a similar conversation with one of my friends. I was doing, I think I brought this on the podcast before, but I was doing some kind of like just Zoom friend hang with some people and some people hadn't met yet. And the guy who was hosting it was like, I'm just gonna give everybody a quick intro. Here's the bio from the internet. And in my bio, I had the least amount of credits of everybody in the room, but I had the longest bio. So I feel like it's almost inverse of like, once you're working and comfortable and like my work speaks for itself, you're like, oh, get this bio off here, who cares? So is that what it is you think? Do you think you're just confident enough to be like, I don't need to put my bio on IMDB or wherever people might find it. Just know me by my work. I, I would like to think I'm almost there. I mean, I don't know. I guess I never even thought of, I'm just bringing this closer Yeah. so I can hear you. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I guess I just never, I never thought to do a bio on mm-hmm. IMDb. Do you think it's helpful? Um, no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it has helped me in any way, shape or form, but I, I don't know. I just felt like people need to know who I am. Like people need to know what interests me and <laughs> I don't, but no, I don't think it makes a difference. Yeah, no, but I know what you mean. I think interests are really key because um, I feel like most of my credits, well, at least that have been uh, produced are all mostly just straight comedy. Some of them are genre blend, like Final Spaces, obviously like has sci-fi elements, but I feel like, um, I, as you know, because we're friends, like I'm such a huge horror fan and my last project that I did sell was horror, but like no one, I feel like most people wouldn't know that. And mm-hmm. I, so hopefully I just sell more horror projects and I, I do post a lot of horror stuff. I don't think with the intention of being like, hey, I like horror because I don't think anyone would hire me um, until I, well, I guess they could for TV, but like in terms of movies, like I've tried to get on some horror movies, like try to get on the Fear Street movies and didn't happen. And I think like, you know, I'm more of a TV person right now, so it makes sense. But um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that other than, <laughs> I think it is good for people to know your interests. Cause I think before, I mean, because unless it's produced the project, mm-hmm. like no one would know that you have this other genre that you're so great at, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. let's talk about that a little bit because you've had just looking at your at your bio and your well your your credits um being a writer is so interesting in that you can be working and making a living and doing well without any of your stuff ever being <laughs> made or optioned you've done in addition to your great to your writing credits on final space on robot chicken on monkey kid and all these different things you've done you have a, a quite a few pilots and shows you've developed or worked on that obviously got options somewhere, I got picked up somewhere or paid for that just don't exist uh, at this point. Hopefully maybe one yeah. day they can come back to life. Uh, yeah. um, but how does that, when you're, when you're coming up, especially, how are you writing that line of staying hopeful 
like that somebody's ever going to see your work see the light of day? Oh, that's a great question. How do I stay hopeful? I stay hopeful by being so delusional. I've just always been a really delusional person. <laughs> and I think it's helpful. And I really, I know we're laughing, but I swear to fucking God, I think it's as long as you do the work to back it up, I think being delusional is amazing. Um, and I think also not listening to other people is also amazing. <laughs> you know, um, I feel like, okay, this is an example of delusion that worked. And I love this story because it's 100% true. And I fucking knew it at the time. So back when I was working at Robot Chicken, we were trying to figure out the Christmas special, which we won the Emmy for. And I gave this pitch. It was so simple. Like, okay, Santa Claus eats weed cookies. He goes on a trip. And that's how we get into the special. Like, that's how we go to every set piece from this, you know, trip that he has. Um, I just felt like it was really clean. And obviously it was just the beginning, but it's just like that simple way in. And the first day the team was like, no, no, like, like it. Then like, you know, and as you probably learn, like, oh, if you're a staff writer, don't repitch the same idea. I do think in general, that's true. Yeah. I do. I think don't be that person unless you really... I just really had a feeling. And so I pitched it again. I pitched it the whole week. And then <laughs> I know, like, that's why I think you can always break rules if you feel strongly enough. Um, then, and still no one, no one seemed to really like it. And then, yeah, at least a full week later, I just stood up one day because they, they, we were really having trouble where um, they were like, let's just not do it. Let's just not do it. And I was like, no, I wanted to do the Christmas special. So I stood up and I pitched it again, confidently. Like I literally stood up, like that's so aggressive. Oh yeah, just you you had your um, Dead Poet Society moment of just getting up on the table and listen to me, damn it. Yes. And I said it nicely, but I said it with confidence. And I guess it works because everyone looked at each other as if they were hearing it for the first time. That's where I was like, holy shit. And they were like, that is great. Let's just, let's do that. And then on stage at the Emmys, I looked at one of the EPs and I was like, I told you. Oh, oh. then I said, I was like, look, if we do it like this, I know we're going to win the Emmy. Like, I just know it. I feel it. I literally... <laughs> And then on stage in the back line, I looked at one of the producers and I was like, I told you, remember? And he was like, he didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> it's so funny how sometimes those big moments for you, these huge victories aren't even like remembered by other people are not blips on their radar and not in a bad way. It's just everybody is in their own head. Like I, sometimes as a writer, you can get self-conscious about like, am I going to like, am I going to pitch to this person again? Like, they've already said no to a couple of my things, or am I going to send this to this manager? Cause I mean, I sent them this other script they didn't like, and like, they don't remember you. <laughs> they, they, unless you wrote like the worst thing that they've ever read, they don't remember you. Don't worry about it. So that was a huge moment for you, obviously, and very exciting one. Tell me as someone who uh, has not yet graced an award stage or, or been, uh, even invited to one. I almost crashed one once, but I got too scared. Um, what? Hey, you... I think it was an Emmy. Like I was out with some friends. It was this. It was out with this girl that I had 
met that night, I think. And we were just, she was like, I don't know, it felt like I was in like a Zach Braff movie because it felt like she was just like, we should just like go crash the Emmy party. It felt like, you know, that manic pixie, like this thing of like, you gotta, we gotta go do this. I'm like, you have fun if you want. Uh, I'm not doing it. And so I think she got annoyed because she didn't end up doing it either. Uh, but anyway, so I, I never, I, I was trying, I was, they tried to talk me into crashing. I didn't crash. I'm waiting for my real moment in the sun here. Tell me about your Emmy night, how it felt when, when you're, when Robot Chicken's name gets called, the who are you wearing? Just take me through the whole thing. Okay, perfect. You know, I love this stuff. So I feel like, okay, I wore a dress that- Good start, good start. Yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, okay. You know how psychic, um, I don't know if we've talked about this. I, I'm weird. I'm familiar <laughs> with some of your psychic tendencies, sure. Yeah. So I was in New York City um, like a month before the Emmys and, and I hadn't, I didn't get a dress yet. And I was, you know, I'm pretty picky about what I wear. Um, you're like, really? You're wearing a Midsommar shirt? Like, <laughs> but I like to be specific. Um, and I was just in the fashion district of New York. I don't know New York that well, but um, something told me, this is going to sound so weird, but I, I was with my mom and I'm like, something's telling me to go two blocks that way and I'm going to find my dress. Like a voice came to me and said that. <laughs> like, I'm not schizophrenic. It just was like a thought. So I go that way. And then he's like, it was like an underground shop. I think it was like stolen dresses. Like it was not, it was not <laughs> legit. Um, and I go in, like, I think there were dresses that fell off the truck. You know what I mean? It's like that vibe. It was like extra dresses from, you know, all the department stores. And I found six that I liked and <laughs> they were just like 50 bucks each. Like, you know, like they're like, if you buy six, it's 50 each. And I'm like, okay, I should just do this. And then I was like, I really want to try these on though. You know, I'm curvilicious. Like I want to see how these look. <laughs> and they were like, no, you can't try the dresses on at all. And I just begged and we went upstairs. They were like, okay, fine. So I went upstairs to like a creepy part of this building and for sure cameras were everywhere um, and they probably saw me naked just so embarrassing but I wanted to make sure they looked good sure yeah so that's where I got the dress I don't know what brand it was but it oh, a very expensive dress that I got for cheap and I just got it altered in the waist to be a little smaller so that's what I wore and um yeah I just and then the shoes is even another psychic story where like I got these shoes I woke up one morning and there's like a thrift store deep in the valley on Satacourse Street. Any thrifters that are listening will know what I'm talking about. It's like this, it's like really deep by all the warehouses. And I woke up one morning and the voice said to me, if you go to the Satacourse thrift store, you're going to find your shoes. And I was like. <laughs> Is it always the same voice? <laughs> it's just, my, I don't know. It's like not really a, it's just a thought, I guess. It's not really a voice. It's more like an intuition that's like speaks to me okay. so, so it's not exactly as a Joan of Arc thing it's not a it's not a halo like a, the sun shines brighter and a voice pops in your head okay no yeah it's just me I guess but it's just so it sounds so ridiculous but then I went to that thrift store and I found shoes that directly matched the dress so I'm like oh my god so but sometimes obviously I'm wrong so i'm not saying that this is all 
<laughs> sure. Everybody's wrong sometimes, even even the voices in your head. So yeah. You, so you um, you win the Emmy. You're uh, up on stage. Like, what does that whole night feel like? What is it like? It's a pageantry of of Hollywood, the the history of it. You're there and part of it. Yeah, it feels like um, it's amazing, but it's it's like okay. I feel like this is very relatable that everyone goes through. It's like you feel great because you've been nominated and you're there and da da da. But you know, so that was a few years ago, and I mean, I don't have a publicist yet still but like since I didn't have a publicist or anyone really on my team pushing for like pictures or like anything legitimate on the red carpet you go there and even though you're a nominee and like you have the you know invitations and like you're had your hair and makeup done and you know you just feel so legitimate there's always a way for Hollywood to be like but you're not important because no one knows who you are like you know that's the vibe like I tried to get on the red carpet to take pictures and they were like no <laughs> I mean I was a little late like I think of course, I'm like late to the red carpet for my like own Emmys, but typical. So I, I honestly, though, if I had a publicist, I would have had time. But they were like, no, red carpet's shutting down soon. You have to get in there. Da, da, da. But really, it just was like, you're not famous. We don't care. And mm-hmm. so like the vibe. And um, but that's why you always have to just be your own biggest fan, bef- no matter what. And before any success or not, because it all is just it's like you just have to like yourself regardless you know um I feel like I'm repeating myself but I think that's important because you can't look outside for validation because no matter what level you get to unless you're like you know an A-list superstar people will be like oh yeah but you're not this so I don't care um and then once you win though so it was funny like the way people treated me before and after was so different like you know like no one would take your picture before and then when you at the after party when you have your emmy like everyone's like can i take your picture like you know photographers and whatever so um and when they it's kind of like a daze like i think you're kind of on adrenaline first of all so you're not eat you like don't eat that day you because you wake up and you like do hair and makeup and it takes forever and then you have to drive there and there's gonna be traffic and, and then i had a gas leak in my apartment that day so like yeah you have like your own i mean unless go ahead. is the is the gas leak does that correspond with when you're hearing voices <laughs> just a just a thought hey that's genius but no i mean the voices i haven't heard voice i shouldn't say i hear voices i, I know feel... i know <laughs> um but Okay, so yeah, you you forget to eat, and then it's like 5 p.m. and you're there, and you're listening to everything. Then, you know, when they call your name, like, I just screamed out, like, fuck, because I was so, yeah, I was so, you're so shocked, and you're actually kind of nervous to go up there, and I know that sounds, you know when people win, and they're like, oh my god, this is actually pretty stressful, and like, I, I almost didn't want my name to be called, and I used to think that they were just lying. I'm like, these people are just like, you know, it's a false modesty or something. But I see what they're saying now. It's so true because it's so. I mean, I would love to give a speech one day when I win, but like, obviously, when you're like on the back line, it's less stressful because you're just standing there. Um, but yeah, it's like it's 
it's definitely surreal. That's how I would describe it. And then the next day, you're so tired because you're on adrenaline. So the next day for me was, a, uh, I think it was a Sunday. And at 5 p.m. on that Sunday, I was like, I'm going to take a nap. And I slept until the next day, 8, 8 a.m. <laughs> That's impressive. Um, Robot, Robot Chicken is is an iconic show, obviously. It, it's been on the air since 2001. I don't, yeah, so it's just, it raised a whole generation of comedy people. And if you look through the roster of, you know, previous writers, you have people like Rachel Bloom and Mikey Day, um, Jamie Loftus, um, addition to the creators who obviously are a big deal. What, what was it like going to work there every day? Um, do you have any great, any stories from like your time there that, uh, you know, you want to share with, uh, with, with the people? Oh my gosh. Let me think. I, I like working. I love that show. I feel like I grew up there, you know, I worked in it for three seasons and, you know, um, and I sold a show with those guys uh, to Adult Swim that did not get greenlit. So <laughs> I feel like I have a good, um, yeah, I worked with those people a lot. Um, I'm trying to think something funny. Oh, okay. I'll tell you this. Cause it's just, it's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, I always tried to get a squirting sketch into the show. I'll just tell all your viewers now or listeners, whatever, I haven't squirted yet. I don't know if I can. I don't know what the situation is, but I just really wanted to do a Clarissa Explains It All squirting. And every season I tried to pitch it. It was like Clarissa Explains It All. And then with like super soakers, just like a 90s fever, fever dream and Every time they were like, this is so, so out of control. <laughs> and I'm like, we're supposed to push the boundaries. Um, <laughs> well, this was this. I love how like my legacy of <laughs> robot chicken and just describing the most filthy sketch that didn't get in. Um, I'm trying to think what. I, oh, oh, I, I can say this. Um, I feel like robot chicken is a pretty. Uh, hard show to work on. And I don't think people know that because I think whenever um, people find out I worked on that show, they're like, oh, like just smoke weed and like, it's just chill. And you just think of ridiculous things. And it's not like that. It's not um, like you go in and um, all day you, excuse me, I should not have had sparkling water before this. You, uh, <laughs> you do some research on like whatever, you know, for me, I did mostly 90s stuff because that's I'm a 90s kid. I would do some research on 90s shows and everything and um, or and just watch a, a bunch of like clips of of things to help inspire me, like things that I wanted to do parodies of. And then I think by like 4 p.m. or something, you have to pass in all your sketches and then everyone reads them and then everyone publicly votes on them. So it's pretty brutal. Yeah. And, um. And it's, it's kind of a solitary job, even though you work next to people. Most of the room is you're working in silence all day. And every other show I've worked on since isn't like that, obviously, because it's more of a narrative show anyways, and more collaborative and more breaking the story together. And then you could probably write the script or write the outline on your own and then come back. Like it's, there's still moments of doing some work alone, but Robot Chicken, especially, you're doing most of it alone. Hmm. yeah interesting I mean it does seem like that I think that's often the case with 
sketch comedy kind of stuff because it is like everybody's just focused on their own sketch or their own little idea and I haven't worked in a professional sketch comedy room but I did work on a, a CBS uh, live showcase show and that's all it was too it was going off and writing your own thing and then we would put up like on a, on, a, on their feet that day like put up a bunch of sketches um, you know every, every time you're doing a sketch you've got to go buy the props and costumes and stuff yourself so you're you know I, I made no money I spent money to like put those sketches up like sketch comedy stuff is less it's almost more competitive than it is like a, like a writer's room you traditionally think of yeah totally yes i wrote for that the cbs sketch show too i actually i quit though towards the end because i got a pa job that i needed to take because i was like i need i need money paying, something that pays yeah yeah literally but that was i think the cbs showcase is good to meet other people um i think they pay now actually so they i think it's better now than it used to be those bitches <laughs> what the hell we missed out no it's fine but um, yeah it's so competitive i mean it's like i don't know i just i'm not into the competitiveness really because i just don't think i don't think it's necessary that's how i feel rather have allies than people I'm competing with it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me I feel like robot chicken was a little competitive but not I mean I think just in a natural way sure no I don't think it was like there I don't think it was like anything malicious with the competition as opposed to what I've heard about SNL where it's like really intense so yeah You've also bounced from, so you've did, we've focused on a lot of the adult animation stuff you've done, but now you're working on Monkey Kid. You've worked on, I think, was it Ugly Dolls? And um, like more, ch you've done more children's animation recently. What's it like going from, you know, pitching Clarissa Squirts to, uh, to moving to like children's animation? How do you find that balance? What's the, like, how's that writing process different? And how do you make yourself fit into that world? Yeah, that's a great question. I love, I love children's animation. Um, I just, I think, I think it's because I am really starting to write more from the heart. Um, obviously, I feel like I'm not showing that with like, Claire starts my little squirting. Like, that's obviously just like crazy comedy stuff. But in terms of the narrative stuff I do and the, you know, yeah, and the projects I've sold over time, um, and hopefully one of them is announced soon, hopefully one of them is greenlit at some point. Thank you. Fingers crossed. Yeah, like, I feel like through the growth of that, which I've done very much in secret and just, or not in secret, but like, it hasn't, no one really knows other than the networks that I've, I've been working with. But um, I feel like I've grown a lot as a writer in terms of, you know, I just really think I write from the heart and I think of that first before I think about structure like I'll think about heart first then structure and then like the jokes and, and you know whatever because structure obviously is so important but um I think that's why I'm able to do that and basically do any genre really um and I feel like with the family stuff the family animation so to say it's I like that 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 type of writing usually has um you know a lesson that we want to convey um and i think that's good and it's not always on the nose which is also good um and also like with ugly dolls i really liked working on that show it's sad that it didn't um it, it got it just didn't happen i mean mm. i feel like it was all the all the episodes were written but 
the production stopped on it but um I did uh the haunted like Halloween episode for that so a lot of these shows if I freelance an episode or something I would I would request to do like the scary one because even then years ago I was getting into horror more so I wanted to get some more experience with that so I showed interest and then I, I got it it's like I really think it's important to ask for what you want and I think if it's coming from a genuine place where I'm like okay I really like scary things I love Halloween I love all this stuff if if there's an episode like that give it to me it's it makes their jobs easier too I just love being assertive in a good way and I feel like I could be more assertive anyways I kind of went off <laughs> no that's great we have a little over three minutes left so before we run out of time I do want to give you the opportunity where can people follow you what are you working on right now what do you want to want to plug et cetera. Et cetera. Okay, perfect. Oh my God. My name is hard to spell, but I would say, okay, on Twitter, I'm sorry, not Twitter, on TikTok, my handle is speak of the Devlin 222. So you should follow me. I'm trying to build my TikTok up. Um, my other social media is just like basically my name. So like it's Deirdre Devlin. So that's a hard name to spell though. So I'll just say it. So like on Instagram, it's like D-E-I-R-D-R-E underscore D-E-V-L-I-N. And what I'm working on now, I'm finishing another season of a TV show, My Last Days Today. My oh, last congratulations. Thank you. My last rewrite is due tonight. And I can't say what it is yet, but it's another um, like family animation type show. Uh, and, then, and then we'll see. I mean, I don't know what's next. I mean... Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Who knows? <laughs> and Monkey Kid is currently airing, right, on Amazon? I think it's on Amazon, and it's going to be on another stream or two. I'm, I'm, I wish I knew. I don't know. Well, find it. It's out there. Um, with our remaining two minutes or so, Deirdre, I want to use this time to get to know you on a, on a deeper level, and then Zoom's going to, at some point, cut us off here. If you had advice to give to an up-and-coming writer, what's the most important thing they need to know? I think, oh my God, I feel like it's going to be so bold, but I, I just feel like you should do whatever you want, like write whatever you want, you know, even if it's ridiculous. Um, I would say writing from the heart, I like that the most. Um, I know some writers though that are super successful and they're like, I just write with my head. And I'm like, I don't, like to me it just seems like but you could do anything else with your head <laughs> sounds so dumb like um I would say I'm really into not listening to other people I mean obviously there should be a level of humility where you do listen to people and you a little bit and at least consider people um people's feedback and all of that but I, here's an example like I had this agent who hated something that I wrote, like to the point where I think he wrote back to me. I don't even know what to say about this. So I was about to, I fired him essentially, but then he kind of like fired me. Like it was weird. He was like, well, this isn't working. And I'm like, I already said it's not working. Like it's, it ended. And like five months later, I sold that show. So it's just, mm -hmm. I just, we put these people on pedestals and we, we really shouldn't. So that's my advice to writers. Don't put other people on pedestals. And listen to yourself. What do you think happens when you die? I believe in reincarnation, so. What do you think you're going to be when you come back? Probably a dolphin. 
is that is that a hope or is that like have you figured it out what's the voice telling you <laughs> i just really your meeting has ended goodbye thank you for listening to 39 minute conversations hosted and produced by brian t arnold Music by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tune in for new episodes and don't forget to rate and review. If you didn't like what you heard, please don't do any of that. That's okay too. Thank you and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and be well.